All right, you rowdy people. Welcome to Taking Shape 2021. Glad that you are here with us. We have got a lot of really exciting things to talk about both tonight and really this weekend. I mean, this weekend is going to be hopefully uh, a time to fill you with good food and uh, some fun times with God's people. And, and hopefully you will walk away from here tonight and tomorrow feeling inspired uh, with a little clearer vision uh, with, with regard to how God is calling us to move as a church uh, here at City on a Hill. And tomorrow, specifically, how you are wired up, your shape, if you will, uh, with regard to how you operate in the midst of other people. I think it will be a, a very fun, interacting time tomorrow, and uh, hopefully an inspiring time tonight. But before I jump into anything, I want to say up front, just very formally to each and every one of you, thank you for being here. Thank you. Uh, seriously, yes. It is, uh, life has, has sped back up. Life slowed down for a little bit last year. Uh, it has sped back up to, to my, as far as I can see, it seems like maybe we're even busier now than we were pre-pandemic. And, uh, and I understand busyness, and I know that Friday nights uh, occupy a very valuable place on the calendar real estate. And uh, so that you have prioritized tonight here means a lot to me and uh, the staff here. We put a lot of time and thought into the events that will happen both tonight and tomorrow. So thank you for being here. You know, over these last 18 months, uh, we, have, we have faced some, some large challenges. I mean, I think if we're just being honest, not only individually, but as a church, uh, the last 18 months have, have been very difficult for a lot of reasons. We've suffered some losses as a church, no doubt. We've lost people who thought that, <clears throat> that we spoke too little regarding some of the things that were happening in the world. The last 18 months, we faced a pandemic. Uh, we faced social unrest, political unrest. We've, we faced all kinds of things that were outside of our control, and yet uh, very large, kind of big, larger-than-life uh, events that were taking place. And, and as these things were going on, there were people that thought we didn't say enough about it, and so they left. Some people left because we said too much about it. <laughs> you know, you just can't win at all, no matter how hard you try. Uh, we saw some people walk away from the church over the last 18 months because they saw an opportunity to fill their schedule with, like, brunch or sports or whatever else. And when things began to open back up, they were just out of the habit and decided, you know, I don't know that church was all that cracked up, all that it was, you know, I don't know that I'm interested in going back. And so... Uh, they just stopped coming. We've lost some people because we at one point required masks, and then we lost more people when we stopped requiring masks. It's just incredible, the world that we live in. We, uh, we recognized at the beginning of 2021 that we needed to cut the budget a little bit, 10% uh, to be exact, because the uh, economy obviously was, was in disarray from the pandemic, and, and people had lost their jobs, and so we were trying to be as, as frugal as possible, so we made some pretty large cuts to our budget. And, and one of the things I want to share with you tonight is that <clears throat> all these things, I mean, as, as bad as they sound, um, they're things that churches across the world are facing, especially in America. Uh, this is not a unique scenario that we have found ourselves in over the last 18 months. Lots of churches, more churches than you realize, have experienced the exact same thing that we have. But there are some unique things that we have experienced over these last 18 months, things that not every church can say they experienced. For example, 
Uh, six months ago, our 37-year founding pastor decided to step down from the senior pastorate, still a teaching pastor, James, uh, but decided to step down. By all accounts, uh, when you look at the research, churches who go through this kind of transition lose 20 to 30 percent of their population. We didn't. We grew. <laughs> that was not meant to be a shot at James. Hold on a second. You are reading into this what is not there. This has nothing to do with us. This is the faithfulness of God. Yeah, yeah, they're all right. Exactly, exactly. Another thing that happened is we had an Easter service this year. It was one of the largest Easter services we've ever had in the history of the church. Yeah, yeah. And this was in the middle of a pandemic. And people came, and God, God showed that, hey, I'm not done with you, city on a hill. I'm not, I, my hand isn't off of you. We're still moving forward. The mission is still clear. The mission is still on the table. Will you rise to the challenge? Something is beeping over here. That is a, I don't know, a click track of some kind. <clears throat> uh, another thing that happened is because we're ap- operating at 60% capacity right now, and that's not because we have restrictions on, it's just, again, we, we, there was a lot of people that haven't come back since the pandemic happened. Uh, we expect to not hit the budget that we even set at a 10% decrease. But in fact, we're overgiving it by a large amount. A large amount. Yeah, again, willing to... Now, all of that to say, again, I want to I overemphasize this, that this is an exciting, there are exciting things that are happening. Not every church can say they are walking through some of the blessing that City on a Hill is walking through. And we don't want to um, be confused at all about why this is taking place. It has nothing to do with us. It has to do with the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of God's people. And so I want to just, again, celebrate God's faithfulness tonight with you because you have been here. You have walked through this stuff with us. You have been such a huge part of the ministry and mission of City on a Hill, and we are extremely grateful for each and every one of you. Now, uh, over this time, I personally have learned some lessons as well, things that I want to share with you tonight, things that I hope will not only inspire and perhaps give some context to some of the things that we're going to talk about with regard to vision, but also things that you will adopt into your own life and, and hopefully live by. I think they're valuable lessons that have come through, again, many of the experiences that we faced over the last several months. Here is the first one. It goes like this. A great idea rarely begins as my idea. <laughs> A great idea rarely begins as my idea. It's so true. Uh, when I think about Many of the great ideas that have come out of City on a Hill over the last 12 to 18 months, none of them were originally my idea. This is one of the reasons why we think it's so important for you as a believer to be well-read, to read both broadly and deeply, because you will gain a lot by hearing the ideas of other people, and you will be able to take those ideas and kind of mold them and shape them into something that applies to something totally different in your own context. Many of the great ideas here at City on a Hill came from sources that were completely unrelated to ministry. It reminds me of uh, something that happened Many, many years ago in Kuwait City, Kuwait City is a a large, blossoming, 
uh, city. It looks honestly fantastic. We've got some pictures to show you up here uh, in a moment, but they are, uh, by all accounts, it almost doesn't even look real. The architecture is beautiful. It's on the peninsula of the uh, Persian Gulf, and just a remarkable-looking place. But it hasn't always been the home to many, many millions of people. At one time, it was just another small spot on the map that was virtually invisible. It wasn't until the 1930s, that uh, 1936 exactly, that they discovered oil there. And when they discovered oil, Kuwait City became a destination place. People were moving from all over the world to get there, to work. Jobs were plentiful. The money was plentiful. And so they came in by the plane loads and began making a life for themselves there, but this created a problem. There wasn't a good enough infrastructure, particularly with regard to water, drinking water, to support the number of people moving in. And so they had to get creative. They put in a what's called a desalination plant that converts ocean water, salt water, into clean drinking water. Problem solved. That is until 1964. There was a very uh, large freighter called the Al-Kuwait that came into the Kuwait harbor, capsized, and subsequently sank. Now, on this freighter, they were carrying more than 6,000 sheep. Now, if you're an animal lover, close your ears. (laughs) They did not make it. 6,000 sheep died, okay? Sorry. Um, But it it made problems even worse. As the ship sank, the grave concern began to come up that if the toxins from these sheep were to get out into the main water supply and into the desalination tanks, it would effectively ruin the drinking water for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people in Kuwait City. So they had to come up with a way to get the boat out of the water without breaking the hole. Because if they break the hole, the toxins leak out, and then we're in even more trouble. And so the the freighter was actually insured by a Danish company. And so this Danish company called one of their engineers, a man by the name of Carl Kroyer, who began thinking about how we could accomplish this task. How can we get this large freighter out of the water without breaking it? They didn't have a crane. Closest crane was like several months away from being able to be transported. And so he had to get creative. And he came up with this brilliant plan. This great idea. He said, hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we take millions of small styrofoam balls and shove them into the boat, and because styrofoam is buoyant and it displaces water, theoretically it should lift the boat out of the water up into where they could then uh, do what they needed to do. And it worked. Yes, they put millions of styrofoam balls into the, the hole of the ship and all around it, and it lifted this ship. And actually, Croyer's idea was so innovative that, that to this day, uh, salvage operations use many of the techniques that he drew up in 1964 with regard to the Al-Kuwait. Really an incredible idea, great idea. And so, so they got talking to him, and they were like, hey, where did you come up with this idea, this concept? You know, he's a very educated man, had advanced engineering degrees and lots of experience in the real world. And, and so they were thinking, you know, was it in school? Did you have some kind of theory that, that talked about this? And he said, no, no, it was actually, uh, it was Donald Duck. <laughs> and they were like, what? And, and he said, yeah, there was, a, there was a comic strip that I used to read. It came out in 1949 called The Sunken Yacht. You can look it up online. It's available in English as well. Uh, where Donald Duck plans with his three nephews, Louie, Dewey, and Huey... <laughs> 
to salvage Uncle Scrooge's sunken yacht. And they're going to try to extort Uncle Scrooge for a lot of money to get this thing out of the water. And Donald and his three nephews decide to pump ping pong balls into it to make it lift. And he said, if Donald Duck could do it with ping pong balls, we could do it with styrofoam. You can't make this stuff up. This is incredible. This is a a world-changing idea that came from a cartoon, right? Great ideas rarely begin as our ideas. I want to give you a a great idea that we came up with recently, and it did not begin as my idea. It actually began as uh, an idea by two other very faithful members here at City on a Hill, Bob and Marilyn Graham. Bob is a, a former elder and a teacher in our life Bible study ministries, and, and they've been here very faithful for a long time, lovely people. And, and he, uh, he messaged me uh, about six or seven weeks ago now after uh, a sermon that I preached out of Isaiah 7 called What to Do in a Crisis. And in that sermon, I read our vision statement because I was trying to orient the church towards the vision of City on a Hill that has been the vision for a long time. It's actually the second iteration of the, vi- the vision statement here at City on a Hill. And, uh, and so he messaged me and he said, you know, we, we listened to your sermon and, and, and I just kind of had a little bit of a check in my spirit when you read that vision statement. And I said, oh yeah. And he said, yeah. And, and Marilyn did too. And we talked about it afterwards. And, and, he, and, and what he said was it wasn't that they disagreed with the vision statement at all. It's just that he didn't feel like it communicated fully who we are at City on a Hill. It, what it says is really good, but it's, it's not the whole picture. So the former, the former I'm going to just say it, we're, we have a new vision statement. The former vision statement is, uh, it, it's stated this way, making church a safe place for people to let go of their secrets and providing a safe process for people to grow in emotional and spiritual maturity in Christ. That's a good statement. It's a good statement. But as I said... And as Bob and Marilyn reiterated, we just feel like it, it doesn't say enough about what's currently happening at City on the Hill and what's been happening, frankly, for, for years and years and years and years now. Now, if you've been around for any amount of time, you know that the way we talk about sanctification here is uh, <clears throat> in a threefold process. We often use the example of a three-legged stool. And the reason why the three-legged stool model works so well is because in order for a three-legged stool to function, all three legs have to be intact, right? Three-legged stools are sturdy, they're trustworthy. Uh, if they're padded, they're comfortable. Uh, but if they miss one of their legs, they're completely unusable. You can't, you can't do anything else with it. It has to have all three legs on the ground. And we like to think of sanctification or the process of becoming more and more like Jesus in that same manner, that there are three legs, if you will, to the sanctifying process, and if you remove one of those legs, the sanctifying process doesn't really work. So one leg, of course, represents what we would call the head, right? Knowing, the knowing component. In other words, what we would say is that in order to become more like Jesus, God has some things that he wants you to know. There are things that he wants you to learn, and we learn those things through what? Scripture, absolutely. The Bible. The Bible is our foundation. We believe it's inerrant. We believe it's infallible. And so we want to learn as disciples being transformed into the image of Jesus what the Scriptures has to say. The second leg could be referred to as the hands or the doing component, if you will. In other words, in in order to become more and more like Jesus, there are not only things that God wants you to know, but there are things that God wants you to do as well. 
And this is primarily worked out through what we call the one another's of the New Testament. To love one another, to serve one another, to bear one another's burdens, to encourage one another, so on and so forth. The hands. So in order to be like Jesus, there are things we need to know, the head, things we need to do, the hands. And that's usually, typically, where most churches kind of stop. Right? We want you to do more for Jesus and learn more about Jesus. And if you do that, then you'll be a great, strong, healthy, vibrant Christian. Right? Wrong. Yes, wrong. Because there is a third leg. And we would call this leg the heart. The heart. Or the becoming or being component, if you will. Now, this is the one of all of them that often trumps the other two. You can learn a lot about the Bible And you can do a lot of things for Jesus. And if you don't work on that heart component, you will end up sabotaging yourself and your witness for Christ almost every single time. We've we've all been aware probably, at least at some point, of some major Christian leader or a megachurch pastor who has some kind of moral failure that becomes very public, right? It's usually some sort of sexual sin, but, but sometimes it's something different. Normally that's kind of where it trends towards. Why? Why does that happen? Why, why do these great influential leaders fall in the way that they do? Is it because they don't know enough about the Bible? No, of course not. They know a lot about the Bible. They wouldn't have gotten to where they got, at least in the beginning, had they not known something about Scripture. Is it because they weren't doing enough for Jesus? I mean, if you know anything about pastoral ministry, it's, it's certainly not that. They, they work a lot. In fact, the higher up you get into the larger megachurch realm, you become more like a CEO than a pastor, and you work a ton, 70 to 80 hours a week. You are grinding it out. It's not a lack of knowing. It's not a lack of doing. It's a lack of the heart. There's something there in their past, some wound, something, some traumatic experience that they never dealt with that directly influences the way they see themselves, the way they see other people, and frankly, the way they see God. And those things typically create lies that they believe, and those lies destroy them. We see it happen all the time. So in order to become more like Jesus, yeah, we need to, we need to learn a lot, and, and we need to do things that he calls us to do. But will we allow him to work on the heart component? Will we take off the hospital gown, if you will, and let it just flap in the wind? (laughs) Will we bear it all? That's the question. And it's a huge part of the mission here at City on a Hill. That aspect of sanctification, the heart component, is really the one that is communicated very clearly in the vision statement. Making the church a safe place for people to be transparent about, to let go of, to share, to confess the things that have brought shame and guilt and all of the other negative things in their life to the the forefront of their life. And then providing a safe process. Because if we don't have a safe process, if we're just a safe place where people are allowed to just kind of dump all of their, their crap all over everyone else, we just become this sort of spiritual septic tank. Right? Where nothing is ever being done with it. We're just sharing all this toxic stuff, but then, then nothing happens. And that, that's not God either. We have to have a safe place and a safe process. And the current vision statement absolutely reflects that very, very well, that heart component. But that's only one-third of the mission of City on a Hill. It's only one-third of what we believe the sanctifying process looks like in the life of a believer. So I want to read for you, <clears throat> for the very first time in public, the revised statement 
that has been approved by our elders and is now active. Here it is. Becoming a safe place for people to let go of their secrets, providing a safe process for people to grow in emotional and spiritual maturity in Christ, developing disciples in the truth of God's word, and loving one another as a witness to the world. The heart, the head, and the hands. You see, this isn't a change to the vision of City on a Hill. We're not changing the vision of City on a Hill. We're changing the verbiage and the statement to better reflect what the vision has been all along. We believe in heart transformation, but we believe in the Bible and the study of God's word, the rigorous study of God's word. It's what shapes James and I's preaching. It's what shapes our Bible study ministry here. It's what shapes everything that we do with regard to learning the scriptures. And we believe in community. We believe in vibrant, Christ-centered, grace-flowing relationships here in this church. And so the statement kind of captures all of those things and I think speaks very clearly with clarity and force who we are as a body. The heart, the head, and the hands all represented here. It's a great idea, isn't it? And it did not begin as my idea. It began as Bob and Marilyn Marilyn Graham's idea. Can you put it back up there, please? Absolutely. You're, You're welcome. It's one thing that I learned. Great ideas rarely begin as my idea. Second thing I've learned is to try to never convince anyone to join the church. To never try to convince anyone to join the church. Life lesson number two. And I know what some of you are thinking. Isn't that basically your job? (laughs) No, it is not. It is resoundingly not my job to convince anyone to join City on the Hill. My job is to shepherd by continually pointing you to the mission that God has given us here at this church. Here's the big problem with convincing people to join the church. Let me give you a principle here. If someone has to be convinced to join the church, they will likely have to be convinced to stay at the church. And that's not a cat and mouse game that I want to be involved in. And it's not one that I want you involved in either. If I have to sell you on all the reasons why you should call this place your home, then the moment something happens that you don't like, you'll get upset and want to leave, and then I'll have to or someone else will have to come to you and give you some sales pitch about why you should stick it out and stay here. And this is really driven by something I've talked about a lot recently, which is this sort of consumer mindset that is so prevalent in the American church today. The the consumer mindset that says, how can this church serve me? How does this church meet my needs? Does the preaching fit up to what I'm trying to hear on a weekly basis? Is the music appealing to me? Does the kids' ministry, the kind of activities I want my kids uh, participating in, are the youth in a really awesome, super awesome facility with like a full football field and basketball and marshmallow eating contest every time they meet? And and is this going to meet my needs? And And the problem with that is that, again, This is such a toxic mindset for the church of Jesus, as if the church exists for you. It doesn't. It does not exist for you. It exists for Jesus. This is the wrong way of measuring whether or not you want to join a church, because the moment those things shift or change, and they very likely will during the duration of your stay at a church, you're going to have to go somewhere else to find those things all over again, and it just becomes this constant pursuit that's not helpful for anyone. Here's my hope for you, and and really for us at City on a Hill, is that the mission of this church will be so compelling to you that it's the reason why you decide to join and stay. That what we are doing here is important enough to you 
to see the value of the ministry here is, is important enough to you to join on that basis alone. And here's the beauty of that. When you join a church based on a compelling mission that God has called them to, all of a sudden all of those other little preferences become significantly less powerful in your life. I've seen it here over and over again, not only with those kinds of preferences, but even with non-essential theological convictions. I know many of you who have differing views theologically on things that we would hold as non-essentials, gifts of the spirit, eschatology, uh, the end times, uh, whatever it is, many of you have come to City on a Hill with a differing view and you have been so compelled by the mission and ministry of City on a Hill that you've said, you know what, I'm so in on this that it doesn't even matter if we agree on these other things. We agree on the essential things, the non-essential things, I don't even really care about because what you guys are doing here, I want to be a part of. I've received the ministry and now I want to give it away. I want to be a part of this, this thing that God is doing here on the east side of Fort Worth. That is the reason, hopefully, people come to City on a Hill and join because the mission matters more than anything else. Now the question is, what is our mission? <laughs> I've given you the vision statement, but what is the mission statement per se? And so that got me thinking this week, what is the mission of City on a Hill? We don't really have a mission statement. We've never really expressed one, at least not in the 14 years I've been here. What is our mission? And, and, and so I began thinking about that and praying about that, and, and, I, and here's what I concluded. It really is the vision statement. That really is the mission of City on a Hill. Our mission includes being a safe place for people to let go of all the things that have happened to them that would normally bring judgment and, and, and all kinds of other condemnation, but to be able to do it in a free, open environment and receive nothing but grace and forgiveness and healing. That's the mission of the church. The mission is to provide a safe process to give to you so that you can take those hurts and those wounds and begin to really work through them and, and find freedom, find healing. Our mission is to bring the word of God to you and instill it, teach it, proclaim it, hold it up as the only viable source of truth in the world today. Our mission includes creating a community here where people are bound together by this thing that God has called us to, where they experience all of the joy and the peace and the, the, the wonderful things that God desires for us in Christian community. The mission of City on a Hill really is becoming a safe place for people to let go of their secrets, providing a safe process to grow in emotional and spiritual maturity in Christ, developing disciples in the truth of God's word, and loving one another as a witness to the world. That, that really is the mission. And so as we got talking about that, again with the elders, we decided, yeah, that needs to be the mission statement, not the vision statement. That really describes what God has called us to in this church. These things matter to us. This is the mission that God has put us on. Now this begs the question, if the vision statement is now the mission statement... What's the vision statement? <laughs> and I will get to that in this third life lesson that I've learned, which is this, to not make a big deal about anything other than Jesus. To not make a big deal about anything other than Jesus. If we've learned anything from 2020, it's that there are a lot of things in the world that a lot of people want to make into a very big deal. And some of them are. Some of them are sizable deals. But what I've learned as both a pastor and just a Christian is that if we're not careful, we get very distracted by all of that. It points us away from the thing that God has called us to every day of our lives, which is just the gospel. 
the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only thing that has a hope to bring people into his kingdom, to bring people out of death and into life. When a guest comes here, when I'm given the opportunity to speak to somebody for the very first time, there are a lot of things that I could talk to them about, a lot of very big, important things in the world. None of those things bring satisfaction, peace, hope, and eternal life, except the gospel, except Jesus. And so that, that is what I want to make a big deal about. That is what I, when people think about City on a Hill, that is what I want them to think. That's a church that loves Jesus. That's a church that's about Jesus. So it got me thinking again about who we are as a church and what kind of vision statement would really capture us. And, and one of the things that I, I never really liked about the previous vision statement, and James expressed the same thing, is it's just too long. You know, vision statements are supposed to be really succinct. They're supposed to be kind of bite-sized which is really difficult to craft something that is small, that is not very long, that's memorable, but also really represents well a local body of believers. And, and with it being as long as it was, we added two sentences to it. So, I mean, it's like way disqualified from vision statement territory now, right? It's like a paragraph. And so what then captures City on a Hill? I, I got talking to the staff about this and and it was actually, again, another one of these great ideas that didn't begin as my idea. I was talking to Kelsey Barker, our worship pastor. And Kelsey reminded me of a phrase that we've, we've used for many, many, many years now. It's a phrase that James started turning, uh, gosh, probably before I was here, which is help, hope, and healing. Something that hopefully you've all probably heard at some point. Help, hope, and healing. But not just any kind of help, hope, and healing. We, we, we want to be about... A very specific type of help, hope, and healing. A type of help, hope, and healing that comes from Jesus and only Jesus. Not a temporary help, not a temporary hope, not a, a superficial healing, but one that is lasting, one that is powerful, one that comes from the Lord himself. And so, again, for the first time, I want to read to you the new vision statement of City on a Hill. It's this. We're all about the help, hope, and healing of Jesus. That's who we are. We're all about the help, hope, and healing of Jesus. When people walk through the doors any day of the week, we ought to be thinking as we come to greet them, how can I introduce them to the help, hope, and healing of Jesus Christ? How can I do that? You know how? By becoming a safe place for them to then let go of their secrets. <clears throat> by providing them a safe process to grow in, in, in emotional and spiritual maturity, by develop, developing them in, in the truth of God's word, and by loving them as a fellow believer in Christ. You see, the vision statement <clears throat> directs the mission statement. The mission statement is how we're carrying out the vision statement. And so when people come and people ask, hey, what is your church like? You know, you, you have conversations with friends, hopefully, family members, workers, and they're like, hey, I, you know, I've been kind of thinking about going, you know, going to a, a new church or going to church for the first time, and, and I know you're real plugged into your church. What is your church like? How many of you have been asked that? Yeah, I imagine probably a large majority of you, hopefully. What is your church like? Here's what I don't want you to say. I don't want you to tell them about the preaching here. I don't. I think James and I are, are, are good communicators. I think there are a thousand great communicators in DFW. Really good ones. Don't tell them about the preaching. Don't tell them about the worship here. I think, again, we, I love our worship, but there are megachurches that put out worship albums two or three times a year. High-level production. High-level stuff going on. Don't tell them about the worship. Don't tell them about the, the kids' ministry. Don't tell them about the youth group. When someone asks you, 
hey, what is your church like? I hope your answer will be, well, we're all about the help, hope, and healing of Jesus. If you want to know what we're like, that's, that's what we're like. We're all about the help of Christ, the hope of Christ, and the healing of Christ in your life. You ought to come check it out. To which they'll say, well, what does that mean? He said, well, come and check it out. We're not going to try to convince you to stay. Our pastor won't try to convince you to join. But come and check it out. Come and see for yourself what's different about City on a Hill. It's that we value these things that God gives us, and we want to give them to other people too. Help, hope, and healing. Now that brings me to my last lesson of the night. One that developed really after we started having all these conversations as an elder body and as a staff. And that is this, number four, if it doesn't include the help, hope, and healing of Jesus, we shouldn't do it. We shouldn't do it. There are a lot of great ideas out there for churches, for how to reach the community and how to do this and how to do that. And one of the benefits of having a very clear vision statement is that it dictates to us what we do and what we don't do. And so when we come up with an idea or when we're brought an idea of, of how to do some event or some outreach or some inreach or, or whatever the case may be, the first question, the most important question is, does it deliver the help, hope, and healing of Jesus to the people who come? Because if it doesn't, it's probably an awesome idea and a lot of people probably have a lot of fun and I'm out. Because I, I, we have limited resources. We have limited time. Everything we do has to be done with purpose. And I believe everything that we've been doing for a long time has been done with purpose. I want to double down on that. I want to make sure that we look at the scope of action that is taken here at this church and make sure that it lines up with the vision statement. Let me give you a very practical example quickly of, of how this plays out, and then we will dismiss. Uh, <clears throat> it's been probably, I don't know, my time gets mixed up, six to eight weeks ago. And um, our children's pastor, Emma Cunnington, organized a meeting with, with some of our staff to plan Trunk or Treat. And uh, for those of you who don't know Emma, she is actually not from Australia, even though I've convinced half of you that she is. <laughs> but I'm coming clean. She's from New Zealand. Um, <clears throat> she's from London. She's from London. She uh, held a meeting with some of our staff about Trunk or Treat. And uh, we did Trunk or Treat last year. It was fantastic. Had a lot of fun. I think I got COVID there. It was awesome. Um, I didn't get it from COVID. I spread it to Brian, though, for sure. I already had it by that point. Um, and so she wanted to talk. She wanted to plan. Everything that we do here, we try to do as a staff, as a team, just to get various ideas from different people. And uh, they had the meeting, and, and I think it was either Emma or I think it may have been Kelsey that sent an email out to the rest of the staff just to kind of summarize some of the things they talked about. Well, Chris, our community pastor, wasn't a part of that meeting, and, and he sent this email back to all of us, and he was like, you know, hey, I, w I wish I would have been there. Uh, let me give you some of my ideas, and it was just like a page and a half of <laughs> ideas. And I'm thinking to myself, like, come on, Chris, don't complicate this. <laughs> and then I started reading his ideas. I was like, Chris should have been in that meeting. Yeah. <laughs> that was really good. Here's what happened is, is initially it was planned on like what any of us would assume is the bright night, Halloween night, October 31st, which is Sunday, right? And so we're going to do it when everyone else is doing it, and, that, and that, that's fine. 
It's a fun thing. It's fun for our families. Fun for our community. Great. What an awesome time. But Chris came back and said, hey, no, actually, I think we should do it on Saturday. And I was like, Saturday? But that's not Halloween. He said, because then, then our volunteers, you know, they're, they're not having to do this other thing after church and before school night. Gives them a little bit of a chance to rest. But more importantly than anything else, it gives us the opportunity to invite them to church the next day. Oh, yeah, right. I mean, it was like, what a dumb moment. <laughs> it went from being a good event to being a, an event that includes bringing the help, hope, and healing of Jesus to the community. A simple switch like that that says, no, this is a good thing, but how can we change it to introduce these people to what we're doing here? This is what it means to think towards the vision that God has given us here. This is what it means to orient ourselves around the vision. When you're having conversations with people in the work, workplace, there's a thousand things that you can talk with them about. Talk with them about the thing that matters more than anything. The help, hope, and healing of Jesus Christ. Who wants, who desires, and who is calling them to himself. With open hands, with nail wounds. Because of the price that he paid on the cross. For that to be a reality. We have to be people of vision. That's what orients the mission and moves us forward. Can you see that things have begun to take shape around here even more fully, even more clearly. We came out of this time that was so confusing for everybody. And it, and it felt, I'm going to just be honest with you, man, it felt really hopeless in certain times. And I know I'm not just speaking for myself. James and I talked a whole lot during 2020 about where are we going, man? Where is God taking us? Where is he leading us? Is he leading us? It felt very hopeless. And it, and it was Easter. I, I, I think it was Easter, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, where for the first time in over a year, we saw a lot of faces and we realized, oh, praise God. He's not done with us. And what we've experienced since then is he's just getting started with us. And so many of you tonight are faces that are in this crowd that, we're not here before the pandemic. And I'm grateful to God for each and every one of you. And, and those of you who have endured us, especially those 37-year, 39-year-long, <laughs> we're very grateful for you. We're very, very grateful for you. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray. And then uh, we are going to break up for our remaining time. We did get started a little bit later because of the food. And so my apologies. We will still do our best to get you out of here by about 8.15. Um, which is kind of normal end time anyways. Um, and we will break up into small groups. I'll say a little bit more about that after I pray. So when I pray and when I say amen, don't do the normal Sunday morning thing where you disperse like ants. Let me just, just give me a minute. Let me, let me share with you where we're all going. Pray with me. Father, thank you, God, for just a clear direction that you've given us here at City on a Hill. And I thank you for all of the, the leaders that are here tonight. I thank you for our elders and their wisdom and their support and accountability and, and just guidance through uh, so many of these really just pretty important things that have been happening. I thank you for the, the passion that you have put into each of your people here to be a, a light and darkness in a city set upon a hill for those lost and broken and wounded people. I pray that 
that we would become a safe place, God. I, I believe that we are a very safe place, but we also recognize that we're not perfect, that we're in the process just like anyone else. We won't always get it right, but our desire is every day to become a more safer place for the individuals who come here and to grow both emotionally and spiritually in Christ, to be developed in the truth, the timeless, eternal truth of your scriptures, and as Jesus said in John 13, 35, to love others as a witness, that the world would know we belong to him by how we love one another, God. Thank you for that. Thank you for, for putting your hands upon this body and being so gracious and delicate as we work these things out. We pray everything we do honors you, lifts you up, and proclaims you as the only hope that we have. Because that's what we're about, your help, hope, and healing. Lord, we love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.